0: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters, and it was so. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Friends, this morning we begin a new sermon series through the New Testament letter of Philippians. But whether you're a member of this church or a member of some other church, or perhaps this is your first time ever at a church, that reality might not excite you. Instead, there might be some kind of secret sentiment lying in your heart, wondering if it even matters, if it makes any difference at all. I mean, another sermon? Another sermon series through another book for what? I mean, with all the world's suffering, with all the personal issues I'm dealing with, what possibly can spending another hour hearing the Bible preach for another 10 weeks or so possibly do? Well, friends, if you have some of those those thoughts, you would not be alone. We all often struggle with, A sense of the impact of God's word, especially when we don't see immediate results. And so I just wanted us to spend the first couple of moments this morning reading from passages in Genesis and the Psalms and Isaiah and Matthew and Romans and Hebrews and John. Reminding us that when God speaks, when God's word goes out, things happen. Things come to life. I mean, when God's word goes out, sinners are convicted and then converted through the proclamation of Christ and his cross. When God's word goes out, mourners are comforted. The weary are encouraged. The church is equipped and ultimately kept. God always accomplishes his purposes when his word is proclaimed. And so, friends, we start this series through the book of Philippians this morning with that confidence, that God is going to do some things in us and to us and through us by the proclamation and preaching of his word. Now, whenever you begin a new study through any book of the Bible, there are a few routes you can take. You can spend a long time kind of giving all the background information about the place and the setting and the time uh, to set the stage of what's what's coming ahead. I mean, you can dig through study Bibles and commentaries that are super useful for that kind of stuff. That's helpful. But for our time this morning, for our study, we want to focus mainly on the book itself. All right, there's some broad outside things we want to pull on, like the, the book of Philippians is written in about 62 A.D. It's about 30 years after Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven. All right, you won't get that inside the book. But as we seek to learn about this book, I want us to look in the book itself to see what it tells us, to see what we can learn about the book of Philippians from the book of Philippians and from other books of the Bible. I mean, one of our aims here at Temple Hills Baptist Church is that we would be people of the book, people who give great time and attention to everyone developing the skill of reading and understanding the Bible. And we believe that one of the greatest ways to train people to do that is just to preach consecutively through books of the Bible, reading them, seeing what they say, explaining what the passages mean, and seeking to apply them to our lives. That's what we'll be doing as we begin our study this morning through the book of Philippians. And so without further delay, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to the New Testament book of Philippians? Philippians is right after the kind of group of letters that Paul writes to churches, Galatians and Ephesians and then Philippians. If you're using one of the Bibles under the chairs, you can find it on page 980. And this morning, we'll look at verses 1 and 2 together. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We read, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now if you read those two verses this week in preparation for today, perhaps you came to the conclusion that this morning's sermon would be both brief and boring one of those might be true. You probably figure it's not going to be the brief part. You're like, this Bama is going to find a way to preach an hour from two verses. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) But you definitely figure it's going to be boring. I mean, what can you possibly pull from this, from just an opening when we read about the author of this letter and the recipients and a kind of greeting? But I think this much more behind simply the stating of the author and the audience here. I think what we see here are statements about the profound and powerful impact of the gospel and God's word. So so here's what I think is the the kind of main idea we can draw from two little seemingly boring verses, like verses one and two of Philippians chapter one. main idea of the sermon, the gospel is incredibly powerful and produces Incredibly new realities. The gospel is incredibly powerful and produces incredibly new realities. As you focus on these two verses, we'll focus on the three new realities the gospel produces. Number one, the gospel produces a new identity. We see that in verse one, kind of 1A. Number two, we see the gospel produces a new people. We'll see that in the second half of verse one. And number three, we see that the gospel produces a new standing before God. We see that in verse two. The gospel produces a new identity. The gospel produces a new people. And the gospel produces a new standing before God. First, the gospel produces a new identity. Again, verse one begins with Paul and Timothy. You can't read through the New Testament without coming across their names. I mean, Paul, outside of Jesus, might be the most prominent figure in the New Testament scriptures. He authored 13 of the New Testament letters, including this one here. So Paul is the author of Philippians. Uh, Timothy might be his secretary. Timothy was, was definitely his co-laborer in the gospel. Uh, Paul serves as something of the, the figurehead in the Bible of bold Christianity. You want to know what? What being on fire for Jesus looks like, look no further than the apostle Paul. But the New Testament shows us and Paul himself tells us that this man was once opposed to Christianity. I mean, flip in your Bibles a a, a few pages or maybe just one page. You might not even need to flip to chapter three of Philippians and look at verses five and six and, and see how Paul gives his great credentials Not as a Christian, but as a devout Jew. He exclaims, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel, specifically of the, the tribe Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, strict as a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. So zealous was Paul at one point to uphold Judaism that Acts chapter 8 tells us that he gave his life to crush Christianity at its beginning stages. Acts chapter 8 verse 3 tells us that Saul, which is just Paul's Hebrew name, Saul was ravaging the church and entering houses. He was dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. In Acts 9, he got orders from the Jewish leaders to go to Damascus and lock up and even kill Christians if he needed to. But you know the story. On the way to Damascus, the the Jesus whom Paul raged against revealed himself graciously to Paul. Jesus spoke to Paul and asked, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Showing that Jesus was no myth. This Jesus whom Paul thought was a phony who just claimed to be the divine son of God actually was him. I mean, he died, but he really did rise again like his followers said he did. And here he was speaking to Paul from heaven and demanding that he turn from his wickedness and turn and trust him. And right there on the spot, the apostle Paul did. His life was forever changed. Not only did he personally trust Jesus, Jesus commissioned Paul to be one of his apostles, to go and declare Christ to all the nations, even as he endured much suffering and hardship along the way. And as Paul journeyed to make Christ known, one of the people he recruited to join him on his trips, including to Philippi, was young Timothy. Acts chapter 16 says Paul met him in the city of Lystra where Timothy was from and where all the people in Lystra were boasting about how honorable and commendable this young man Timothy was. Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman and a Jewish mother and a Greek father. And Timothy, it seems, didn't have the kind of dramatic conversion story as Paul, from murderer of Christians to martyr for Christ. No, Timothy, Paul would later write in 2 Timothy was acquainted with the scriptures and the Christian faith from his youth it was a faith that his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois passed down to young Timothy this boy we might say was brought up in a Christian home that didn't make him a Christian by osmosis Timothy had to at some point put his personal trust in Jesus as we all must at some point but his mother and his grandmother's influence helped So here we have up front two different people, Paul and Timothy, with different stories, but united together by the same gospel that transforms all kinds of people. People who were once way out there and people who grew up in the church. People hostile to the gospel and people harbored in a Christian home. People like you and me. You see, friends, it doesn't doesn't matter if you have a kind of crazy conversion story or a kind of tame conversion story the fact that you are converted at all means you have a story you have something to boast about you have something that the lord has done in your life and we praise the lord for it paul and timothy were like you and me in many respects but they weren't just like you and me i mean again paul was an apostle he had seen with his own eyes the risen jesus and had a unique authority that we do not have and Timothy was his valued protégé. But notice Paul doesn't prioritize or highlight their prized positions or pedigree. Paul doesn't leave with his Ph.D. or his honorific title. You know how some of us be, right? You meet a pastor and he, he demand that you call him about five different names before you get to his actual name. You know, he doctor, reverend, bishop, overseer, right? And then his name, you can't even call his first name. You got to call his last name, right? Paul don't do that, right? He doesn't start this letter by stating who it's from and then laying down up front his apostolic authority. Paul flips things upside down and speaks not as one who has authority, but as one who is under authority. Paul and Timothy, what's the best thing about us? What's the first thing we want you to remember about us? We are servants or literally slaves of Christ Jesus. Friends, think how deep a change the gospel has produced in this man. Roughly 30 years earlier, Paul boasted about putting Christians in bondage. Now here he is, 30 years later, boasting about being in bondage to Christ Jesus. I notice in verse one, the intentional word order there. Christ Jesus. Here's a subtle reminder that Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his title. It means Messiah, anointed one, king. Paul opens up here saying, I am a servant, a slave to King Jesus. If that rubs us the wrong way, it might be because we actually think that we are free agents. But friends, if you're not a slave to King Jesus, then you are being ruled, ruined by some kind of counterfeit king. You see, nobody is free. Jesus says in John chapter 8:24, "Everybody who practices sin, who makes a habit of sin, is a slave to sin." Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, "Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Amen. We are all naturally born slaves to sin, and we love it. But Jesus Christ came to earth and became a slave for us, a slave of obedience to God. I mean, look there at your Bible, is it Philippians 2? So the next chapter over, Philippians 2. And look down at verses six through eight. And notice the only other time Paul uses this term servant or a slave in the entire book he uses it of Jesus we read there in in Philippians 2 verses 6 through 8 that Jesus though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself how by taking the form of a servant same word a slave Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for us. Jesus became a servant to serve us. He became a slave of obedience to God, living a perfect life for us and laying down his life and dying in our place and rising from the grave so that we might be actually released from the lifelong slavery to sin under which we are all been in bondage since birth. He's released us. Not to leave us to live our own way. He's released us from that kind of wicked bondage to free us to serve a new and a better master, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, bondage to Christ is actually freedom in life. You're free from a guilty conscience. You're free from the sin that kind of weighs you down. Friends, if you're here this morning and you're feeling that sin, I know how it is, right? You didn't try everything to kick it on your own. You, you didn't try medicine. You didn't try therapy, right? You didn't try to white knuckle and self will it. You cannot break yourself out of bondage. You need to be broken out of bondage by a true and a better master. The Lord Jesus Christ actually came as a slave to set you free from slavery to sin. Paul says elsewhere that we have been bought with the price. We've been purchased and redeemed from slavery to sin by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So now that we have been bought, we belong to him to serve him. Friends, that's true of all believers. We belong to Jesus and are to live, to serve, and to please him in all humility and love. Later in this letter, Paul will call the Philippians As we walk through it, you'll see he'll call the Philippians to to lower themselves and in humility serve one another. Uh, Paul in this letter will call the Philippians to have the, the same mind of Christ who humbled and lowered himself by becoming a servant for us. And here Paul practices what he preaches. This very letter is an act of service on behalf of the Philippians. We'll read in this letter that Paul actually writes the letter from prison Right. He's in bondage literally for Christ. And yet in those bonds is still seeking to serve these believers by writing to them. He'll go on in this letter to boast not only about his own service, but Timothy's masterless service in the gospel. And even in this opening, it's a reminder to the Philippians of why he and Timothy would serve the church so deeply because of who they are. Servants of Christ Jesus. And all who belong to him must be identified with him as his servants. No longer living our own way for our own selves, but for him and for his people. You are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. So glorify God as his servants. The gospel produces a new identity. The second thing we see in this opening is that the gospel produces a a new people. Number two, the gospel produces a new people and look at the second half of verse 1. As Paul here kind of formally states who the recipients are in this letter. Paul writes to all the saints who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Uh, Why does Paul not simply write to the Philippians? Why to all the saints who are at Philippi? It's good to ask questions when you come to the Bible. Maybe another and maybe even more important question you might have here is, What is a saint? I mean, the word saint is often used. The Roman Catholic Church throws it around at different people who are canonized as saints. Well, what is a saint? The word saint comes from the Greek word hagios, which literally means holy ones. But I thought holiness belongs solely to God. I mean, it describes God. Isaiah chapter 6, for instance, tells us. The angels in heaven surround the throne room of God, singing praises constantly about the God's holiness. So intense is it, so magnificent is it, that God is not simply holy, but God is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with the glory of his holiness. But you know, the, the story of the Bible is that this holy God means to have for himself a holy people. A people set apart from the world and consecrated to him. It's why God created mankind in the first place. He made the first man, Adam, in his image to reflect his good and holy character to the world around him. But Adam failed to rightly reflect God's holy nature and instead chose an unholy alliance with Satan in rebellion against God. So, so, God expanded his focus from one man to an entire people. God chose the nation of Israel out of all the peoples of the earth to enter into a covenant relationship with in Exodus 19, God formally vowed to be their God and told them they were to be his people a kingdom of priests and a holy nation later charging them be holy as I am holy but Israel like Adam failed to live up to God's calling they chose instead an unholy alliance living like the nations around them in rebellion against God Adam failed Israel failed but two thousand years later Jesus Christ came the true and better Adam the true and greater Israel and when he came When he stepped on earth, when he stepped in the midst of darkness, you know what the dark powers of the demons proclaimed about him, right? But before Jesus was going to cast out some of the demons, you know what they said? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the holy one of God. Jesus completely obeyed God and lived the holy life that mankind should have lived. But then he laid down that life and died and rose again in order to constitute for God a new people, a new kingdom, a holy nation made up of men and women from everywhere who repent of their sins and fully trust in him. Jesus died to create the church. You see, saints equals holy ones, equals every single believer in Jesus Christ, equals the church there are not simply a few extraordinary christians who are saints like saint paul no every christian is a saint and as every christian is to belong to a local church paul writes here to all the saints in philippi it's how he thinks about and addresses the philippian church is how he wants them to think about themselves as saints in Christ Jesus. I wonder if that's how you think about yourself. I wonder if that's how you think about Christians. I wonder if that's how you think about the church. You know, we need to adopt the Bible's language and understanding. Christians are not a voting block for a specific platform or party in the governmental system. And the church is not simply a building or corporation that tries to get funds and do good things. No, the church is a group of Christians of new people of saints, a holy people whose lives are devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. This designation of saints then is a reminder of who the Philippians are and thus how they are to live. You know, you know, I think some of our struggles to live holy lives are, are because we keep believing lies about ourselves. You, you think about how you think about yourself. Think about how you talk about others around you. We keep believing that we're the same people as we were before. We keep believing that I'm the same Omar as 10 years ago. Right? I'm the same care from 20 years ago. Right. We keep believing that the gospel hasn't produced anything different in us. But notice here, that's not how Paul thinks. Paul doesn't write the second line of verse one and say, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, uh, to the old sinners in Philippi. Now, the people in Philippi definitely committed some sins, as we all will. But that no longer defines them. When Paul thinks about these believers in Jesus Christ with all their flaws and all their faults, with all the messy relationships going on, we'll read something about it. When Paul thinks about this church and all the sins and struggles, Paul looks at them and Paul looks at the Lord's work in and through them. Paul writes to the saints, to the holy ones. The Lord Jesus Christ has exploded in this little town and caused a new beginning, a new awakening in this little old place. Can you relate? I hope you do because the same thing has happened here in this local church. When you look around and you should, when we have church, you should actually look around and not just look up front, right? Well, when we sing, you should actually look at the faces in the seats, right? Why we try to have a regenerate church membership who make up the membership of our church is so that we can actually be encouraged as we look around and listen to our brothers and sisters praying and singing and we know All right. that they are new people. That the Lord has done something transformed. That these aren't just some folks who gather together on a Sunday. These are saints in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's one of the greatest tools that you and I can use in our discipling relationships. Number one, remembering who we are in Christ. Reminding each other that you are a saint in Christ Jesus. You are set apart in Christ Jesus. The Lord has removed you from living in the filth of your sin and placed you, reserved you in a heavenly place even now. Right. And so what we need to call each other is not to act like something you're not. What we need to call each other is to remember who you are and act like who you are. Remember that you are a saint and so live like who the Lord has made you to be. You don't have to succumb, my brother, to critical speech. You don't have to succumb, my sister, to that sharp tongue. You don't have to give in to those worldly and fleshly desires that are rising up, causing you and calling you to go act out on that sensual temptation. That's not who you are no more. That used to be you when you were labeled and characterized and known as sinner, but you are a saint and so live like what you are. We can use those kind of things not to boost each other up or have a false encouragement. Those are actually biblical, biblical grounds to stir one another up to love and good works, to encourage and edify each other. Y- young people who are, who are trusting in Jesus, I, I pray that as you begin a new school year that you would, if you claim to be a Christian, that you would live like a Christian. That you would say no to the temptations to live like your friends, to deceive parents and disrespect teachers and to give in to all the kind of things that are being thrown to you. Not because you are a square, but because you even 11 or 7 or 17, you is a saint. Yes, we believe kids can actually be saved. And we believe that kids should live as if they're saved. And we pray that if kids are actually saved and live as if they're saved, then that fruit will be shown over time. And God willing, we'll put those children in that baptismal pool and baptize them as believers at some point who are trusting in Jesus Christ. We want to encourage you to keep living as a Christian. Because being a Christian is not just a label, it's a lifestyle. A life of living wholly to the Lord. You and I, as Christians, have been set apart for Him to show the world what He is like by our lives. And what an amazing privilege and calling that little old you and me in this little old church represent heaven on earth. We reflect God. What's this little old church doing in Temple Hills, right? Little Temple Hills Baptist Church. What are they doing? What can they possibly do? Well, we can tell the world what God is like by our holy lives. That's what Paul wanted the Philippians to know. Their greatest privilege wasn't in being Philippians, citizens of this important city in Macedonia and a Roman colony. There was something to boast about in that. Their greatest privilege wasn't being saints, representing and reflecting a great and holy God that's why Paul writes to the saints in Philippi and not simply to the Philippians he wants them to remember what your greatest calling is it's not your Roman culture and your Roman colonyhood your greatest calling is as a saint of the Lord Jesus Christ these saints in Philippi didn't always exist saints aren't born this church was birthed at some point though through the proclamation of the gospel. And so turn with me in your Bibles to, to Acts chapter 16. It's a good way to get some background about the Bible, especially epistles in the Bible, right? Is to look in the book of Acts and see, is this one of the churches that Paul actually started that is recorded in Acts? So you don't necessarily need to study a Bible or commentary. You can find a lot about the, the epistles by looking at the book of Acts and seeing those churches. So let's look at Acts and kind of trace this church's beginnings briefly. When Paul came to Philippians, to Philippi, there were no saints there because there were no Christians there. When you look at Acts chapter 16, verse 10, God gave Paul a vision, wherein Paul concluded that God had called him to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel to them. So Acts chapter 16, verse 11 tells us, setting sail from Troas... We, that's Luke, the author of Acts, and Paul, and Silas, and Timothy, this whole group, we made a voyage, direct voyage to Samothras, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. we remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. the first saint in Philippi, a woman named Lydia. And she was a pious person who worshiped God as a Jew, but she did not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul preached. And you see what verse 14 says? The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said and ultimately to believe what Paul said her being baptized along with her household a visible demonstration of their faith I drop down a few verses to verse 25 uh, Paul and Silas find themselves in prison in Philippi because they cast out a demon from a fortune-telling woman who would cost her owners a fortune right, they could no longer make money off of her because Paul and Paul and them want to go do religious stuff right Paul and Sidus find themselves in prison, but even in prison, Paul is serving the Lord, doing what saints do, praying and singing to God. So that even all the prisoners here, the Lord responds by sending an earthquake to unlock all the chains from all the prisoners. So that in verse 27 there, we read the janitor is about to kill himself for allowing all the prisoners to escape on his watch. But Paul commanded him to do himself no harm. All the prisoners were still there. Leading the jailer. After observing Paul's life as a prisoner, this man probably never locked somebody up and had them singing about it and holding a worship service in a cell. After observing Paul's life in prison, a holy life lived for Jesus, even in that hard trial, it led him to ask the most important question in verse 30. How can I have what you have? Mm-hmm. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he was baptized at once. He and all his family. Here is a second set of converts, a Roman jailer and his family. This man, like Paul, once locked up Christians for their faith, but Paul's life and his words testified of Jesus Christ, what Christ had done, and it led to this man's salvation. Friends, again, when the gospel goes out, things happen. A new people is produced. When Paul came to Philippi, there was nothing there but souls headed to hell. When Paul left Philippi, There was a couple handfuls of holy people. There was a small church left behind. A community of saints headed to heaven and living as such. And as you flip back to Philippians 1. Here we have Paul writing about 10 years after this initial visit to the Philippians in Acts 16. And Paul here able to write to all the saints who are in Philippi. Uh, how many of them there were we we don't know but presumably more had been added to the number through lydia's witness this wealthy woman and through the jailer's witness and through their family's witness i I pray that gives you hope and endurance as we continue to minister in temple hills and pg county and if we keep faithfully plodding away at proclaiming the good news about jesus god is going to produce something spectacular Amen. we can trust that if you continue to proclaim this good news time and time and time again over what seems like hard and impenetrable soil god is going to create a new people who live for him Amen. i pray that motivates you to motivates you to come out and and serve and meet neighbors on Saturday at our back-to-school event, Uh, to to, to serve and to to drop little gospel seeds and trust that the Lord might bless your faithful efforts. I pray it motivates us to take the gospel to other places where there are no Christians and no churches presently, like what Paul found when he went to Philippians or to Philippi. He didn't have a promise of what was going to happen, But he did have a promise of the power of the gospel. Paul believed that the gospel is powerful for salvation. And so he could go to any kind of place, not knowing what awaited him, but knowing that when this word is preached, God produces something. Pray that we will be able to go to places that are filled with people, people living in sin, people whose lives are unholy, but people whom the Lord would delight to transform into a holy people, to be his witnesses it's amazing how the Lord works to transform folks I mean notice even in the the address in verse one to the Philippians the the kind of added elements Paul says to the Saints who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons this church which was once a non-church is now a church with multiple qualified leaders Overseers, which which means bishops, is just a term that the Bible uses interchangeably with pastor or elder, those tasked with teaching and preaching and with the oversight of the church. Deacons are those that God has charged primarily with serving the needs of the church, of, of the church body. Notice here, this very subtly but very profoundly, there are plural elders and deacons in this singular church in Philippi. The Lord's design for his church is not for there just to be one man, one senior pastor who does all the ruling over all the church or churches, right, with no kind of delegation, right, with no kind of partnership. You no, know, God has designed his church to have multiple elders giving oversight over one church and multiple deacons serving one church. That's why here it's not just me serving as pastor, but Pastor Warner and myself. Uh, helping to, to lead this flock. Uh, that's why we have our brother Joe faithfully serving as a deacon and we hope to add to his number, not because we just figure we need more help, but because God's word actually says you need more help. God's word actually tells us how to design the church, how the church should be structured. And so you just notice here, elders and deacons, and what qualifies someone as an elder, as an overseer? or to serve as a deacon what is primarily their holy character I when mean, you read the qualifications for elders and deacons in first Timothy 3 what stands out is is the character qualities their proven character and holiness as it relates to speech and as it relates to to restraining themselves as it relates to substances and as it relates to fidelity in relationships Paul writes to all the saints, to the entire church, along with those in the church who've been distinctly recognized as spiritually mature, as exemplary models of a holy life, overseers and deacons. Because I pray that many of you in our congregation would aim, would aspire to be overseers or elders and deacons here in our local congregation. I pray you would aspire to be elders and deacons not simply to have a title but because you aspire to live in such a way that people would readily recognize you for your godliness and as someone who absolutely meets those character qualifications in first timothy 3 and titus 1 maybe this week a good exercise would be to read through those passages read through first timothy 3 this afternoon and reflect on what areas you need to grow in in holiness What might be keeping you from serving as an elder or a deacon? What a smile must have cracked Paul's face. Even in prison, as he wrote this letter to the saints in Philippi, with the elders and deacons. Like a proud parent, he can remember when they were first born. How clueless they were. How immature they were. And yet here he can write marveling at God's grace in the life of this local church not only is there a church to write to a holy people who did not once exist there's spiritually mature people in there who's leading the church the Lord is graciously at work the gospel had produced an entirely new people with new affections and new desires and new commitments the final thing we see highlighted in this opening that the gospel produces is number three a new standing before God the gospel produces a new standing before God look with me at verse two as Paul speaks as one authorized to speak on behalf of God the father and God the son Jesus Christ what message does he bring as heaven's ambassador he brings good news grace to you And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is not just God's unmerited or undeserved favor. Grace, as we said before, is God's contra-deserved favor. It's God giving us contrary to what we deserve. What we all deserve is God's wrath for our rebellion against him. What we all deserve is God's anger poured out unendingly in eternal fire in hell for seeking to live life our own way and totally ignoring and pushing him away. Praise God that he has not responded to us according to our sins and what they require. God has instead graciously chosen to save us from our sins by sending his precious son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die in our place as our substitute. Jesus died and was buried and rose again as a demonstration that his death was sufficient payment for all the sins of all those who trust in him. For all those who turn from their sins and who indeed trust in Christ for forgiveness, we are forever saved. We are forever forgiven for every single sin, past, present and future. By grace, by God's marvelous grace, we have been saved. And by God's marvelous grace, we are being sanctified. God has not changed his heart towards us. No, grace is what marks the Christian life from the beginning to the end. God is immeasurably rich in grace and he loves to freely spend it on his children, on his sons and daughter, on his saints. It's God's grace to you that you even desire to come to church this morning. It's God's grace to you that you belong to a local church where other saints mean to equip and to encourage you in the faith. It's God's grace to you to hear his word preached every Sunday from different men, giving you the life-transforming word that only God's word can give you. It's God's grace to you to fight that temptation to, to lie to grow bitter to seek revenge is God's grace to you strengthening you today to say no to sin and yes to God grace to you and peace from God I think some of y'all need to hear that this morning peace from God God is not Angry at you. God is not angry at you in Christ. The horrible week you just had. The horrible marriage that you might feel like you're in. The unending health problems that rack your body and mind. The hard time you're having finding a spouse. They are not indications that God is punishing you. You and God do not have a hostile relationship. At one time, that was the case. At one time, we were enemies with God. But God reconciled himself to us. He took the initiative by sending Christ to become our peace. So that we might have everlasting peace with him. So that we might have a right standing with him no longer as enemies, but friends, even better than friends, family, sons and daughters. When he sees us, he sees us through the lens of his son. When he sees us, he declares on us the same thing he declared to his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When he sees us, he delights over us. He rejoices over us. We need to understand what Paul says here, that there is peace. or well, the Old Testament word in the Jewish terminology, ta- terminology, there is shalom between us and God. Not just is there no hostility, there is the presence of absolute favor and friendship and wholeness and newness and joy and everlasting happiness. friends, if you're here this morning and you know yourself not to truly be a Christian, I mean, you love sin, you love to live in sin, and you know you're not living for the Savior, then God is very much still your enemy. And there is no peace between you and him. So the best thing, the most urgent thing you must do right now is to turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ that you might receive the gracious gift of salvation from his hand. If you want to talk more about what that looks like, come talk to me after the service at the door. Talk to anyone around you. We love to talk more with you about what that looks like in your life. Friends, the gospel is powerful. And it produces all kinds of wonderful new realities, new identities, new people, new standing before God. What wonder... Or transformation might the reminder of the gospel and its powerful produ- production, what it powerfully produces through the gospel. What, what transformation might that be working in you this morning? Two little verses, seemingly throwaway verses, but showing the enormous impact of God's word and God's gospel. What might the Lord be doing through this reminder of his wonderful work? I pray that we would all see the Lord's work in us and through us and to us, that we'd be reminded who we are in Jesus and that we would live like what we are. As we advance in this book of Philippians, we'll we'll see Paul give some direct encouragements, some direct commands. But to begin, he just means to show us the wonderful work of God in the gospel. To meditate on it is in your life and the lives of people around you and to give God praise. Let's do that even now and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news about Jesus that you've shown to us, that you've brought to us. Lord, we thank you for the effects the gospel has wrought in us. Lord, we pray that you would make us uh, joyful in who we are in Christ. Lord, we pray that we would live holy lives to him. And Lord, we pray that you would, through our holy lives and our holy witness, Lord, bring others into this kingdom with us to serve Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name and for his glory. Amen.